Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. We almost had a wreck here up on stage, so I won't run anymore because me and Sarah just about plowed into one another. Would have been ugly if she'd have taken me out. I'd have never lived it down, would I? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. If you can't figure out where that is, it is the last book in the Old Testament. So you, if you find the book of Matthew, just flip backwards. We're going to be in the book of Malachi, chapter 4. So we're in the last book, the last chapter, and the last verses of all that God had to say in the Old Testament. Let me give you just a, one particular announcement. We are Today is, is the day um, that uh, we've asked you to have your refocus nominations turned in. So a uh, reminder, we, we've got several things that we're looking to do. Uh, as a church body, a, a direction, a vision that we uh, believe the Lord's leading us in that involves uh, better reaching our community, uh, reaching the nations, and involves uh, also better uh, meeting the, the particular and physical needs of our church body, uh, which if you walked in this morning before the kids left, I do need to say we will see if we can add a few chairs in here, make a little bit more space. We knew that this day was coming. We weren't sure exactly if it would arrive. You know, COVID got in the way all over again, so we weren't sure if we were going to see this day in early August, if we are going to see this day uh, in October, but uh, here we are where y'all came in and couldn't figure out where you're going to sit. So we're going to try and figure that out, and uh, next Sunday, probably what we'll do is we'll say something like, hey, thank you for being here early. Now, please slide to the middle so everybody will have room, but uh, we do appreciate that. So uh, how we're going to meet uh, the needs of our growing congregation um, and, and how can we work and, and invest in other churches around our community? So those are the things that are the, the focus. But what we need from you is to help us put together that team that's going to steer us into the future in the next uh, three to five years or so. So um, we've asked you as, as members of Malvern Hill to give us those nominations. That electronic form went out this week. Last week you got a paper form. There's another copy of that in your bulletin this week. That's not so you can vote twice. Right, that was supposed to be a joke. Um, uh, but uh, just so that everybody has what they need. So please uh, do that uh, before you leave. Also, uh, just a uh, side note, or, or maybe a, a note, it's a celebration for us in, in that uh, we, we see the, the COVID numbers receding. And in our office this week, we had a moment of celebration that is weird to most of y'all. We had a moment of celebration because we looked at our calendar and we said, oh, we're going to probably, probably be able to pull off all the things we planned for the fall. And we were so excited that uh, sort of the fall and winter calendar looks like it might actually get to happen. So um, uh, that means that one of the things that we, we're trying to bring back and, and to return post uh, post-acute uh, times is, is uh, our choir is hoping to pull off um, a Christmas um, experience. What are we going to call that? A cantata? A cantata. Okay, I wasn't sure if we were still using that phrase, but um, they had a wonderful turnout last Sunday. I think they had about 400 in that little room. Um, but seriously, if that's something that you have any interest in, see Pastor Kevin. Uh, he's the guy up here with the guitar. Uh, uh, you can see him after service, or you can just show up here at 5 o'clock and uh, they will tell you where to go. They're, they're hoping to be in the back, but there's so many, they may end up out here, and we might just have to give them the sanctuary uh, for a while on Sunday morning. So just FYI, that's there. Okay, hopefully by now you've made it to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in, in verse 1, and we're going to read the, the, all six verses of Malachi, chapter 4. Let me just tell you before we begin reading, this is, or these are, the last words that God is going to give to his people before he is silent for 400 years. These are God's last words before John the Baptist bursts onto the scene. Well, with the exception of the words given to, to Mary um, and, and to um, uh, others there uh, in, in the, the, the birth narratives of John and Jesus. 400 years. This is God's last word for 400 years. The, the things that God has to say to his people need to be remembered right here because this is a promise that God gave them that he expected would sustain them through 400 years of darkness. And I believe that it's a promise that can sustain us. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, 
And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a degree of, a, a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would, um, God, that you would fill up this place with your Holy Spirit. That, Father God, you would give words to this preacher. You'd give us all hearts to receive and ears to hear that which the Lord has for us in this word. Be with us, we pray, in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you have gotten phone calls or text messages from me asking for you to pray for this message specifically this week uh, because there are, there are a few things that, that a pastor preaches on that can get quite as dicey as preaching on parenting and families, right? I mean, in, in, in the hierarchy, you've got a few things. You've got money and you've got families and then you've got like theological issues uh, maybe, maybe end times theology or the issue of, of like predestination, soteriology. And so uh, one, one of our, our deacons texted me this week. He said, how can I pray for you? I said, well, if you would pray for this sermon because I'm preaching on families, you know how that can get kind of dicey. He says, Craig, if, uh, he said, if a while back you, you preached one sermon and you covered predestination and the end times all in one. So if you're going to take that risk, I'm not too worried about what we're gonna, how we're going to respond to families. But um, that, that's... You know, when, when we get into these things, today we're, we're basically talking about money and families all at the same time. I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to vote on, on putting together this vision team, and everybody in the room understands that if we put this together and this team comes forward and they, they suggest, for instance, the, 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 what I believe are the necessary building of educational facilities to make room for our children and our, and our teenagers, then everybody in the room understands that's going to cost money. Not little money, lots of money to accommodate you know, all 478 children that we have that feel, actually I shouldn't exaggerate. So why? why? Because this morning there's probably 300 people here this morning. That means 100 of them are 18 or under. So that, that's what we're looking at. We've got to figure out ways that we, and I get that number because across the board we, we see 30% of our, con, or a third of our congregation being 18 or under. So we're, we're talking about money and some of you are going to go, oh, he's always talking about money. I'm not always talking about money, but right now, yeah, we're talking about it. We're celebrating it, too, because God's been good to us, and, and we're seeing our, our finances actually be super healthy right now, and I'm very grateful for that. But the other thing that we're talking about, and then the primary purpose of the, of the sermon this morning is to talk about what it looks like to parent inside of the promise of God, to, to live as godly families. So before any of you begin judging me, or before some of you turn me off because you just don't want to hear it, let me just tell you that you're, you're hearing this message from an imperfect parent. You're hearing what I believe to be God's intention and instruction for us, but you're hearing it from a man who struggles at times to actually apply all of these things. And, and a man who is grateful for God's grace in our parenting. I'm, I'm thankful for, for Buster being part of my life because he's really wonderful about reminding me over and over and over again. He's done this now for 14 and a half years that uh, he's grateful for God's grace because God in his grace has given children, his children the ability to remember the good things and to have these selective memories and to often forget the bad things. And I just pray for that, that same degree of grace in my life. I, I, so, I, so I come to you recognizing the struggle of parenting. I come to you recognizing the, the spiritual struggle of parenting. As a matter of fact, I come to you as a fellow traveler that just this week spent all day Tuesday wrestling through this sermon. I told, I, told uh, I, believe, I believe it was Angela, I told somebody that, you know, it, it kind of felt like it's, when she's baking in the kitchen and there's all these things laying around, she makes these cinnamon rolls sometimes, and, and the kids help her and they just absolutely destroy the kitchen. There's flour and there's sugar and there's cinnamon. And then somehow or other, this wonderful thing happens and they pop out of the oven and they're great. Well, my sermon felt like that on Tuesday. Everything was all over the place. I couldn't get all the ingredients into one place to actually create this sermon that I believe that God had for us. And then I was tired, and I was frustrated, and I was exhausted, and then I went home, and rather than be applicable of all these great parenting tips into my own parenting, I actually lost my cool with one of my kids and did all those terrible things, and Angela and I went for a walk, and I looked at her, and I said, just FYI, the pastor worked on a parenting sermon this morning and then completely ruined it all tonight. I say that not to give you permission to ignore the things that I have to say. I say that instead this morning to help you to understand that, that we're all aiming for something. And if we aim and we miss, then I believe there's grace, but how terrible is it for too many who are not aiming for anything? 
How terrible is it for too many that are not aiming for anything? So I ask you this morning, what is a healthy family? And we're going to wrestle with four points this morning and, and then a conclusion. And the first thing we see this morning from God's Word is that healthy families are a sign of God's blessing. Now, this passage in Malachi really caught me off guard this week. And it caught me off guard. I've, I've, again, I, I believe that at this point I've probably read through the Bible somewhere between 15 and 20 times. I'm not 100% sure, but I've, I've read through the Bible in, in that range. And yet somehow it's never jumped off the page to me the way that it did for me this week that the last verse of the Old Testament before God goes silent for 400 years is this promise that God would restore families among His people. I mean, there's a lot of things in this passage that we expect. Malachi's warned about the day of the Lord. And, and, and we just saw last week that Amos says, Hey, don't, don't be too excited about the day of the Lord because it's coming with judgment. We see that there's this great uh, hope that comes in the book of Malachi because Malachi's been going judgment, judgment, judgment. You get to the very end of Malachi chapter 3 and what happens is there's been some people who do what? Who actually turn. Now, now it's crazy that these people would turn at the end of Malachi 3 and record their names down as those who want to follow because God, or what God uses to do that with is Malachi preaching a tithing sermon. You understand, Malachi preaches a tithing sermon in Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 through through 15, and then people get saved. So we're going to try that next Sunday. Buckle up. It's going to be exciting. You know, Malachi looks at him. He says, you're robbing God because you're not giving to God the proper tithes and offerings. And the people didn't cross their arms and huff and puff and march out the door and go, that Malachi didn't talk about anything but money. It turns out that they looked and they went, hey, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And they wrote their names down and said, put us down as those people who will serve the Lord. So we get that, which is crazy. And then it gets a little bit more insane because you get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, the day is coming like an oven. And we go, yeah, that's what we've been reading about. The day of the Lord's coming and it's judgment, judgment, judgment. And it says, for those who don't fear the Lord, it's going to be bad. But then God gives these promises. But for those of you who belong to me, those of you who fear the Lord, he says there's going to be great victory. For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like the dawn, or like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day of the Lord when I act. So it's like, oh wow! For God's people who, who trust and love Him, there's actually going to be this salvation that comes in the day of the Lord. That justice will not only reign supreme, but that God's people will be actually executing this justice, trampling down the wicked, celebrating the righteous. Man, we, that's, that's awesome. And then we kind of get something that we would expect. God says it's important that you would obey the law of Moses. And they go, okay, that's, that's, that's what we want, right? That's what we expect. We're in the Old Testament. God says, hey, I'm going to take care of you. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be justice. You're going to live according to, to my law because that's what my people do. But then we get this curveball in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. They go, whoa, whoa what's this about? And then verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Of all the things... That could be said about... Now, remember, Elijah the prophet, that's an Old Testament language that helps us to... That, that refers to John the Baptist, the predecessor of Jesus. What was John's purpose? John comes along and John's saying what? He's saying, uh, he, Jesus is coming. We're going to preach on John next week. This is all that John does. John is, is preaching a message of repentance before Jesus' public ministry begins. John comes declaring and bringing, ushering in the promise of God. And for all the things that could be said about John's ministry, it could be said that, that there was going to be salvation. It could be said that he was going to wipe away tears and pain. It could be said that he was going to, um, that, that they could have said, hey, you're going to get to eat bacon because Jesus is going to fix all that. He's going to fulfill the Old Testament law. It could have said what John said, that, that he's going to um, you know, come preaching a message of baptizing with water, but this one's going to come baptizing with fire. But instead, what does God give as a sign of the promise? God's sign of the promise is this. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The coming day of the Lord, the arrival of the Messiah, will bring about healing to families. 
this is really good news. This is really good news. Because what we have seen in and throughout the Old Testament is that a sign of the curse of sin has been the brokenness of families. Ezekiel prophesied Jerusalem's destruction. And and Ezekiel warned this. Because of your abominations, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers. Sin wrecks families. And as a result of the sin of the families of Israel there became, or Judah, there came a point in time when there would, God would step away from them. And as a result, that there would be Babylon that would come and he would see, besiege the city to such a degree that families would turn upon themselves. Now, I've warned for some time, that, some time now that I believe that we are a nation under God's judgment And if broken families are a sign of God's judgment, we should fear for the future of our nation and pray for God to intervene. Let me give you some statistics from the United States of America. Three in four children are born to unwed mothers. 19 million children under the age of 18 live with a single parent. One in six children under the age of 18 are being raised without a father. 60% of of poor children live in households headed by unwed mothers. But it gets worse. In Ezekiel's day, there was literal cannibalism in Jerusalem during this siege. People resorted to eating others to survive starvation. In America, too many parents are not sacrificing their children because they're starving. They're sacrificing their children on the altar of success. Or they're sacrificing their children on the altar of seeking to live vicariously through their children. They're sacrificing their children on the altar of all the things that the world has without ever considering what it is that the Lord would have us to do as parents and how God would have us To raise them. How many families are failing not because they couldn't succeed, but because they invested in the wrong things? Healthy families are a sign of God's blessing, and unhealthy families are a sign of a rampant running free of sin and a sign of God's curse. Now what's easy is that sometimes in the church we can throw stones at all the people out there that are doing all those things. But parents, how often do you read the Bible with or to your children? How regularly are they in the church? How often do you schedule other things to take them away from their church commitment? You see, your children understand what is important in your life and consequently in their life by where it is that you spend your time. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes, but just remember, healthy families are a sign of God's blessing. Can I just be honest? A lot of of parents wait until it's too late before they show up going, there's something wrong with my child. I don't say this in judgment. I'm warning you. I'm pleading with you. Don't wait. Teach your children the things of the Lord today, right now. Healthy families are a sign of God's blessing. When we see families falling apart, we should wonder whether or not we are living under the blessing of God or the curse of God. second thing I want us to see this morning is that healthy families are the result of faithful commitment. To appreciate the blessing that Malachi is promising, we should consider some of the prominent sins that he describes. Turn back just one page, Malachi chapter 2. Hey, y'all do me a favor. Don't tune me out right now, okay? I know these are hard things. Stick with me, all right? Stick with me. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And and this second thing you do, you, you cover the Lord's altar with tears. With weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. So they're going, God, we, we, we're, we're showing up. We're giving our sacrifice. We're going to church. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. 
says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Healthy families are the result of faithful commitment. The people of Malachi's day had ceased to be committed to one another. Husbands were engaging in what we, we today would call no-fault divorce. They were cheating on their wives, and, and, and this was almost specifically and strictly a husband thing in that day because the wives would not have had the freedom to do this. Men. And so they were chided by Malachi because they were not faithfully committed to their spouse. Folks, listen to me. Healthy, godly families require faithful commitment. Faithful commitment. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But it is godly and it is the best chance for success. This is what creates healthy families. Consider what some call the success sequence. Finish high school, get a full-time job, get married before you have children. For people who live their lives in this sequence and stay married, there is only a 5% chance that they will experience poverty in their lives. 5% chance. The promise from Malachi is that those living in the promise of the Lord will have healthy families. Why? Because they seek to serve the Lord first and foremost because they cling to His commands and His direction. So listen, do you want to have a healthy, godly family? Choose commitment and contentment even when it isn't easy. Is being married hard? Yes. Imagine being married to me. Is child raising hard? Yes. I would say imagine raising me, but that was probably a joy. <laughs> raising children's hard, right? You spend all day working on a sermon and go home and yell at your kid and go, holy cow, I've just, I've just messed it all up. Will you always feel in love? No. Is that a reason to walk away, to quit, to give up? No, absolutely not. It's really insane to me that we apply this standard to relationships that we literally don't apply to any other thing in our lives. We've got a little home gym at our house. And I use it pretty regularly, but I, I don't know what made me think uh, recently about what, what it looked like it, it, at times in my life to be super committed to that and at other times to be uncommitted. You know what nobody ever said to me when I was like, man, I'd, I'd really like to be in better shape. They, said, they never said, you know what, you should work out whenever you feel like it. And when you don't feel like it, eat a sleeve of Oreos and just sit on the couch. Right? That's a recipe for unhealthy. Right? And absolutely right. Because listen, I enjoy working out. I like to lift weights. I like to pick up heavy things and put them down and do it mindlessly. I love every, every aspect of it. But do you know what is so much more comfortable and immediately satisfying? A sleeve of Oreos with milk. I'm just going to tell I don't mean like three Oreos. I mean all the Oreos. And not double stuff. Those things are from the devil. Plain, regular, ordinary. And if y'all like double stuff, you're really not sanctified. <laughs> just be honest, okay? In a little while, we'll have an invitation. You can come and pray for the Lord to forgive you for that sin. And you can change. Now, I never went to the doctor. I've gone to the doctor, and they told me all kinds of things. You know what they never told me? Greg, if you don't feel like going for a walk, then just sit down and eat those Oreos, man. That's going to really take... I, I, I never... About 10 years ago, I struggled with a little bit of depression. Some of y'all lived through it. God bless all of you who lived through that with me. It was tough, wasn't it? We had a hard time in our church. Period of great spiritual struggle. Some of y'all were here. I was sick. I had all these things going wrong. I went to the doctor. They never said, you know what, Craig? Just don't worry, about, don't worry about doing anything healthy. Just don't sleep. If you want to watch TV all night, watch TV. They didn't say any of those things. I remember I went to the doctor. I said, she said, are you sleeping? I said, I don't have time to sleep. She said, then you don't have time to be well. Eesh. And yet we say that about our marriages. Well, if they don't make you happy, then just walk away. What? What? Why? Who sold us that lie? And in what world did we allow it to be propagated? And let me just say it this way. How did it ever begin to circulate even among God's people that God's people would say, well, I mean, they just kind of fell out of love. What does that even mean? 
Love is a, is a three-pronged triangle. It's what I like to teach folks in marriage counseling. You've got sort of the passionate aspect of it. You've got sort of the, the feelings aspect of it. And then you've got the commitment aspect of it. Right? So you, you got that part that's the, the spine-tingling feelings when you first fall in love and you get married. And that's great. You know, and, and then you've got sort of the intimacy part that's, that's deeper than that. That's the part that, you know, gets past all of that. And, and you really begin to share your deepest, darkest feelings and fears. And then you got the commitment part, and that commitment part says this. It says it doesn't matter what happens today or tomorrow or ten years from now. We're married, and we just got to live with it. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, the folks that have been married in this room for 30 years or more, when they're honest with you, they will tell you there were a lot of days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years when what sustained their marriage was not their intimacy. It was not their, their emotions. What sustained their marriage was a reminder. They just couldn't get out of it. They were just so enmeshed, there was no reasonable way to work your way out. Some of y'all that have just been married a little while go, oh, we won't ever be like that. Yeah, you will. Just get over it. Okay? You're going to roll over, you're going to go, man, there's a house payment. And like, I like this house, and she likes this house. And you know what? If, if, if we didn't stick it out, then one of us has got to go away. And she cooks really good, and I'll miss that too. And that's going to be all that's left. And it might be that way for a minute. But it's okay because guess what? When you, when you stick with that commitment, that faithfulness, what happens is the intimacy and the emotion, they, they rekindle. I was talking with an older man this week. And when I say older, I do mean that. This guy's like 90. Okay? And, and, he's, and he, he and I were talking about this, this very thing. And he said, you know what? What I, I came to realize is that you don't fall in love and get married. You get, fall in love and get married. He said, the truth of the matter is you get married and you fall in love. There's, there's, there's a lot to that, right? You've been married for 40 or 50 years. You fell in love 15 or 20 times along the way because you learned something else about your spouse that might have been hard initially but caused you to love them a little bit more or you saw the way that they loved your children or you saw the way that they loved you when you weren't very lovable and it caused you to love them just a little bit more. Healthy families are made up of people who are just willing to be committed. They recognize that they're married to very real people. Unhealthy families don't have spouses who spend enough time looking in the mirror. Okay? Listen to me. Men, if you'll look in the mirror for about 10 minutes a day, and I mean not just look, I mean look, you're going to appreciate more the fact that your wife is willing to live in the same house with you. Right? When you are convinced that you're God's gift to women, first of all, you're lying to yourself. And you can begin to develop this idea that there's, the world owes me more than I'm getting. The world owes you nothing. And the fact that God gave you a woman who will live under the same roof with you is an act of God's grace. How do you know it? We run all the way back to Genesis. And Adam lays eyes on Eve. Y'all heard me tell this story before? And Adam writes the very first love song. See, it's poetry when Adam says, At last! Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's like that Etta James song. I won't sing that. I could, but I won't. <laughs> Folks, commitment. Faithful commitment. Malachi is chastising these people because they walked away from their faithful commitment. Healthy families are the result of faithful commitment. The opposite right here is what? God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, children to their fathers. Some of that faithful commitment means there might be a period of time when the only thing that sustains your marriage is a reminder that you've got children between the two of you. Can I tell you that when the devil gets in the way, when the devil seeks to create friction and division, I don't care what keeps you together. You cling to whatever it takes and you stay and you pray. It takes two of you, but you work. Listen, I, 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 one of the reasons I wrestle with these sermons is because as I do this, I, I know that there are folks, there are folks in this, this building right now who, who've gone through divorce. I've never yet met anybody who went through that, who came to me and said, Pastor, I would encourage that for all the people I know. 
You want to talk to people who know the pain of, of, of separation? It's those folks who have, who have endured that. And so I, I don't say this without an appreciation for the fact that some of y'all have, have, have suffered and struggled in these areas. I, I, I don't want to ever come across as being unsympathetic to that. But what I want to do is do all that we can to help others to avoid the same pain that some of you have had to experience. But I also want to remind you, look here. That's not a black mark for you to wear for the rest of your life. God forgives you for the sin that you've committed, and Jesus died to set you free from the sins that have been committed against you as well. Whatever you do in this message, don't miss that. Healthy families are the result of faithful commitment. Third this morning, healthy families require thoughtful engagement just because parents this is the part where if i hadn't been here for 14 years i'd be terrified to preach this because some of y'all be ready to run me off healthy families require thoughtful engagement just because there are opportunities for your kids doesn't mean you should take advantage of those opportunities i, I think that one of the things that concerns me the most about christian families today is that the way that they spend their recreation time, the way that their children engage in recreation time and leisure time and spare time does not look markedly different from the way that the world spends their time, their money, their energy, and their resources. Listen to me. If you show up at that event that your child wants you to be at and you look around and you realize that there is no difference between your family and all the unchurched, unchristian families around you, it's time that as followers of Jesus, we started asking questions about why that is the case. Let's just consider some of these things. What are some of those sports, hobbies, extracurricular pursuits? You got travel ball, dance, uh, scouting, bass fishing, deer hunting, specialized camps. Where's Adam? Is he in here? He's somewhere. Adam had a, had, had a girl, had a girl, can I tell this story, is that fine? He had a girl this year, invite her, she's in sixth grade, invite her to come to our church. Sixth grade girl, she looked at him and she dropped her head and she said, I would love to come to your church, but I can't because my brother plays travel baseball. I'm not going to comment on that, I'm going to let that sink for a minute. Just because something exists doesn't mean that it's a good thing. Let's consider technology. How many video games exist that your children should have no access to? I mean anybody living in your home shouldn't have access to. I don't mean little kids. I mean big kids. I'd hate to know what some of the video games are that are played by our teenagers. Parents, do you understand that there are video games that you can buy that allow your children to participate not only in illicit activities, but in things like actually rape? That stuff exists. Do you know what they're playing? Do you care? According to one, one internal slide, we don't just have to worry about video games. The findings of Facebook showed that, now this is Facebook's own statistics. They own Instagram, so that matters. 32% of teenage girls reported that Instagram made them have a worse body image. That's one-third of research participants who experienced suicidal thoughts. 13% of British teens and 6% of American teens directly linked their interest in killing themselves to Instagram. And parents, you haven't even asked the question about whether or not your children should be on social media. Like if you choose for them to have a social media account, that's your business. How many of you have even asked the question about whether or not it's appropriate or healthy or good? How many of you know how much porn lives there? How many of you care? Smartphones and tablets, what age is appropriate? What apps are appropriate? Why does a seven-year-old need a phone? Some of y'all wanted to laugh, but unfortunately it's not funny. 
Think about what a child is learning from an iPhone or an iPad. And look, I'm preaching from one, so I'm not telling you they're all bad. What's a, what's a child learn? You say, well, it's educational. Let's, let's think about what a child learns. This isn't what the educational people tell you. First of all, just because they claim it's educational doesn't mean it's actually been created by an educator or a doctor. Right? I can claim a lot of things. Here's what it says. The primary lesson that a child is learning from an iPhone or an iPad is that the world responds to me when I tell it to. Some of y'all hadn't even thought about that, had you? You hadn't thought about the fact that the reason your child becomes so self-absorbed and angry and irritable when you put them in front of that screen for two hours and then you take it away is because what this screen does is everything that they shouldn't experience as a child. It puts them in absolute and total control. Yeah, they were quiet and they left you alone and you created a monster the whole time. Because every time they got tired of the video they were watching, they pushed a button and they changed the video. And they said, the world revolves around me. I'm the God of this universe and everything should bow down to me. When I got tired of watching videos, I played a game. When I got tired of playing a game, I FaceTimed my friend. And when I got tired of that, I just hung up. Why are our children so selfish and self-absorbed? We're creating that. Listen. Healthy families consider how to help their kids be healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Healthy families should ask questions about what their kids eat, how much their kids are in front of screens, how much their kids are exercising, and how their kids are being encouraged to grow spiritually. You say, Craig, what does this have to do with God's Word? Right there it says that the hearts of our fathers will be turned towards their children, the hearts of parents. When the Bible says heart, it doesn't just mean emotions. It means our entire being is turned toward the welfare and the well-being of our children. The CDC recommends, for instance, that kids have one hour of physical activity per day. That there's screen time. Oh, by the way, this is for children above the age of seven. So for toddlers, these screen numbers go down. Screen time should be limited no more than one to two hours per day. That TV sets be removed from children's bedrooms. Healthy families require thoughtful engagement. I'm not mad at you. I'm afraid that in the evangelical church, in Malvern Hill Baptist Church, right here, I'm afraid that too few of our families are thoughtfully engaging with their children. I'm afraid that too few of our families are asking questions like, what is best for my kids? Not what is available for my kids, but what is best So let's just think about, let's just make up an activity. Let's pretend like you've got like an underwater welding club that your kid can be a part of. Because that way I don't call out any of you for all the things that you do. But you can be a part of an underwater welding club. And that underwater welding club travels all over the country to compete in underwater welding. But pastor, that, it's, 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 it's only one or two Sundays a month. Okay. So let's think about what we're teaching our children. And, and pastor, I can get them a scholarship for underwater welding. And pastor, I think we can be missionaries right there in the underwater welding community. Now for everybody that says that, I want to know how many of y'all been praying for the Lord to show you your mission field and that one just showed up. See, I find a whole lot of people that, that decide they're going to be a part of the underwater welding community and they've got to figure out a way to justify it once they get there. Unfortunately, I find a whole lot of people that don't even ask the question about whether or not this underwater welding coach knows what in the world they're doing. So I'm going to pay $1,000 a year for them to be a part of the underwater welding community. Okay? And then I'm going to travel one or two times a month so that they can go to their underwater welding experiences. And we're going to spend 1000 bucks a weekend so that we can make sure that we go to the places we need to go to and we can go and we can get the hotels we need to get to. And you go, but it's only one or two weekends a month. Do you understand that when you draw your children away from God's people twice a month, 50% of the time, what you say is that God's people and God's engagement, the things of the Lord are, eh, they're important, but you know what? It's not as important as this opportunity you have to go earn a scholarship as an underwater welder. And Craig, while we were there, I, you know what? There's a lot of non-Christian people who are underwater welders. Folks, I just want you to think. I want you to think. There might be some situations where it, it, it comes out and you go, Pastor, we've prayed about it, and this is exactly what the Lord would have for us. 
And perhaps we could bring some folks up on a Sunday morning and say, we want to send them out as missionaries into the underwater welding community. And they're going to be gone for two weekends a month, but they're going to go and they're going to take tracks when they go and they're going to engage. They're going to have worship services because we know this is a lost community. Listen, if you can't come up to us as your church body and say, will you commission us to go out as missionaries? Then we need to ask the question, is that really what you're doing? And if not, ask your children, ask the question, what are you teaching your children? Because what we're teaching our children in a lot of cases is that the church is not essential the church is optional and all these other things are the things that really matter i just thought about this so this one might get me in trouble but i'm just gonna say it anyway how many of you gave as much to your church last year as you gave to your children's hobbies how many of you would be willing to show your children This is how much we believe the church matters in your life, and this is how much we believe that underwater welding matters in your life. Healthy families consider how to keep their kids healthy. Malachi says that a sign of God's blessings is that fathers' hearts will be turned toward their children. This is not purely an emotional thing, okay? So the attention and care of parents should be turned towards their kids. So when we talk about things that are not fun... And that honestly make me a little nervous because all y'all are my friends and I love you. But I love your children. And why do I do this? And I'm, I'm just being honest with you because I hate when I have to put my arm around your neck and love on you because your children are not seeking the Lord. Because your children are not seeking the things, or because your children are not seeking healthy things in their life. And so kids, listen to me. I'm not hating on your parents in here today. Some of y'all are old enough to hear this from me, and some of y'all are old enough children to grow up and go home and look at your mom and daddy and say, look, what he said is right, and I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do everything in my power to trust you and to obey you if you will put these practices in place. So it's not purely an emotional thing. The attention and care of parents should be turned towards their kids. Limiting screen time, junk food, and social media is hard. It is super hard. Do you know how easy it is to make Sloan be quiet? Super hard. And Brooklyn too. And the other children in my house. And me. Do you want to hush us all up real quick? Again, sleeve of Oreos and a TV screen. You won't hear from us for hours. Because we'll eat until we slip into the diabetic coma and then we will just stare at that TV. Y'all think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Like I love Oreos. Listen, doing things like encouraging physical activity is hard because look, what happens? Hey, kid, go outside and dribble a ball. I just want to watch TV. You never let me watch TV. Why are you the meanest parent in America? Parents, listen to me. Sometimes you just got to own that and go, maybe I am. Okay, I'll be the meanest. I don't know if I'm the meanest parent in America, but I'm the meanest parent at this address right now. And I'm okay with that. I want to see your abs, so go outside and run around the court, run around the house. Encouraging those things aren't, but look, what else is hard? Teaching your kids to read their Bible and pray is hard. So some while back, we decided, and I, 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 I honestly think this is Angela. She usually makes all the good decisions in our life, and I'm, I'm the one that messes things up. But, you know, we trying to get everybody down the stairs around the kitchen table in the morning and, and reading God's Word together is is ideal but it's hard and then when you're trying to bridge this gap between an eight-year-old and a 14-year-old and all the ages in between it's challenging so like the things that we were doing that would appeal especially to Sloan in Brooklyn didn't appeal to White and Aubrey and then if they appealed to White and Aubrey then they didn't understand so 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 like what we're working to do as a family I, I guess for maybe the last year is 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 our, our kids are good readers everybody can read so it's here you have a bible everybody's up early enough in the mornings and we're all doing a quiet time together okay um and and, and then hopefully there's not there's enough peace and quiet in our house that we can look across at somebody on the way to school or across the breakfast table or something and say tell me what you read this morning so that we can engage that way okay and we're going to talk about the sermon from this morning we're going to talk about life group lessons over lunch those are some of the things we're going to do but but just understand it's not easy it requires us to get everybody out of bed. And look, the pastor's kids don't get up early, easier than y'all's kids do, okay? 
Some of y'all see us on, in the mornings because there's a group of us that all of our children go to Kenton Elementary School and there's a group of us that walk in together. And I promise you that in that group, every single day there's at least one kid that is in a very bad place and a parent who had to get them there. Okay? Some of y'all live in my neighborhood. Y'all hear from my house what's happening. It ain't good all the time. It's hard. But it's worth it. Because our goal, as I had to tell, say to one of my children just this week, my goal is not to make you happy today. My goal is to see you become a godly adult. And that seems like it's a long way off for, a, for an 8-year-old sometimes or for a 4-year-old. But I'm going to tell you something. When they hit 14, you realize you ain't got much time at all. And parents, let me warn you, if they hit 14 and you've not done this, the deck is stacked against you and them. All these things require us to thoughtfully engage, and yet that is what God's Word teaches that parents should do. Thoughtfully engage. Thoughtfully engage. Prayerfully engage. Lord, is this what's best for my kids? Lord, does this make them more godly? Does this help them to look more like Jesus? God, if, if, if I buy them this thing, God, does this help them to be more godly, or does this make them to be more spoiled and more worldly? Lord, if I give them this opportunity, is this going to help them to be healthier or less healthy? God, if I buy them this video game system they really want, is this good for us? One of the things that we had to do not too long ago, we we looking for a new vehicle, and um, we, you know, like the rest of y'all, you write down the list of the things you want, the list of things you need, and the list of things you can afford. Like, they're not always the same thing. But, you know, one of the things that, that lots of cars come with them is screens. And so, Angela, this is your car. Do you want it? She said, no. And I'm, she was adamant no and I said okay I mean you know what if we go on a long trip she said no I said that's fine we've never had them it's not a big deal but why she said if we have those in our car then I have to fight with the kids more often because they're going to get in the car to go to Walmart and want to turn on that screen and I thought now that's somebody who's thinking because I hadn't even thought about that and then she said and then what are you going to let them watch because then you're going to have four opinions about what ought to be on now that's somebody with a head on her shoulders. I'm married up. <laughs> Folks, that's what it looks like to thoughtfully engage. One of the reasons that my, my kids didn't get cell phones until like significantly later than most of their friends was this. There were lots of reasons. One of them, though, was because we knew that when we introduced that into our home, it was just one more discipline issue we were going to have to deal with. And we just wanted to delay that as long as we could so that they didn't get in any more trouble. It was a big deal. Side note, thoughtfully engaging. Let me just give you a couple of things, and we got to move on, okay? I shouldn't stay here as long as I have. Listen to me. Parents, you've got to take control of your children's electronic devices, and you got to do it today, and you can't wait. Your kids are exposed to pornography. They're exposed to bullying. And it's coming into your house. And if you think that it's not, you're being naive, Okay? If you think your kid won't, just understand they're being preyed upon by a world that's seeking their attention. Anyone under the age of 18 should never have a cell phone in their bedroom, period. I don't say things as a pastor very often that strongly. I'm telling you, there's no reason for them to have it. If that is their alarm clock and you can't afford one, me and Adam said this in the podcast not too long ago, call me, okay? Matter of fact, I'll just say it right now. I don't know where it'll come from in the church budget, but we'll find a way to budget for alarm clocks for your kids so that you can get the phone out of the bedroom. And if the finance committee can't handle it, I'll pay for it. Because you're robbing them of sleep because they wake up something like on average six times a night to check that phone. You're introducing bullies into their bedroom. And when you shut that door and you turn that screen on, you're introducing the opportunity for pornography in your house. And that's just a fraction of all the things. What about introducing the opportunity for predators to be interacting with your children through the video games that they're playing socially on their phone in their bedroom? And if you think that I'm lying about that, ask any of our sheriff's department uh, people, ask any of the, um, the, the school district folks that are working. We've got principals here. Ask them. They will tell you that it's happening every day in Kershaw County. Parents, if you love your children, take their phone from them and don't let it go to their bedroom. And if they hate you for it, that's all right. They're supposed to hate you for some things. All right? 
Set a time that those things go up. Now, that's a time that you've got to figure out in your home, but set a time and then try to model it. If you tell your kids to put it up at 9.30, put yours away at 9.30. Show them. Okay? So establish a charging station in your home, whether that's in your parent, bedroom parents or whether that's in the kitchen, wherever it is, and do not allow them to have any electronic devices in their bedrooms. Part of thoughtfully engaging with your children is doing that. Kids, when you go home, if your parents listen and they do that, call me and yell at me. Leave them alone. All right? Okay. This is going to be a long sermon. I apologize. Number four. That wasn't the last point. (laughs) See, y'all thought we were done. Godly parenting is the expectation for Christian parents. Here's the kicker. Do you claim to be a follower of Jesus? If you do, then these are not options for you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it is expected that you will do what is necessary to try and build a godly family. Ephesians 6 gives us this as a command. You ready? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Kids, are you listening? Y'all don't get off the hook here. Okay? Moving on. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Number three, that it may go well with you and you may live along in the land. This is still towards you, kids. Number four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a command here. Bring them up. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't pick at them. Don't ruin their lives. Don't domineer over them, but bring them up to fear and know the Lord. There's a promise and a warning from Malachi. Look there in in chapter 6. He says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi says, you do this or it's going to be bad. Healthy families are not an option. Godly families are not an option. They are a sign of the promise. They are a sign of God's saving acts. Listen, if you're not seeking to build a godly family, adults... You've got to ask yourself the question whether or not you belong to the Lord. Because one of the signs of godliness is healthy, godly families. It's one of the signs of God's promise. Those living under the curse of sin see their families destroyed. Those living in the promise See, their families grow healthier. Society tries to explain all of this away. What, what do they try to? We see broken families because God is not first. We see so many broken families as a sign of our sin, and our society tries to explain all this away to make people feel better in their sin, to make you feel better when you choose to expose your children to sin and make them suffer for your sin. But God offers no such exceptions. Turn, repent. Or there will be consequences for your sin. Parents, turn toward Christ. Bring your kids toward Christ. Or expect that your family will not look like the blessings of God. There's this strange thing that's occurred in our culture, I think I might have mentioned a few weeks ago, where there's this effort to sort of experience the full blessings of a Judeo-Christian society without Christ, without a belief in God. So it's like, hey, I want all the benefits of being a Christian without actually revolving around Christ. And what our society is seeing right now is that it doesn't work. This is the brokenness we're looking at in American culture. We want things that come from a Judeo-Christian society like stable families and and a just um, court system. We we, we want things that are are fair in taxation and things like that that come from a Judeo-Christian society built around Christian morality. But when you remove Christ and morals, you can't then experience the blessing in a society. The same thing is true in a family. (laughs) 
some of you are like, Craig, well, what in the world am I going to do? Some of you sitting here, Craig, I've already messed up. It's too late. The really awesome thing is that in God's Word, there's all these opportunities for you to change. There's good news in the midst of all this. See, it's not too late. Today can be the day. You say, Craig, you don't understand. I've created this web that I don't know how to get out of, and there's no chance. And I'm here to tell you that if you'll just take a step today, don't worry so much about what's going to happen two years down the road. Stop worrying so much about what you've done. Will you take a step today? Say, you know what? I've messed up, but today, as for me and my house, today we will serve the Lord. Today can be the day that you decide that you will live in the promise of God's Word instead of the excuses and excesses of sin. Today can be the day. Today can be the day when you say to your children, I have failed you. I've messed up. And I'm sorry. But I'm going to try beginning today. To do things differently. Today can be the day. So here's our invitation. It's pretty simple. Parents and grandparents, see, it's on you. It's on you. Your commitments, it's your commitment that will make the difference in your family. And look, God expects it of you. It is your privilege, responsibility, and blessing. It is your privilege, responsibility, and blessing. I'm not up here to judge you this morning. Instead, I'm here to invite you. Will you choose the Lord today? Will you decide that today you will take the necessary hard steps to see your family turned toward Christ? See, I I actually don't know what all the steps are in your situation. See, for some of you, it's going to mean that there are things that you have to stop doing, and you're going to need to stop them cold turkey. Some of you are going to have to stop some things just now. For others, there's going to be a lot more about what you're starting to do. For some of it's going to be a little bit of both. Sort of a start and stop kind of thing. We're going to stop this. We're going to start that. So the invitation today is just that. Would you allow today to be a turning point in your family? Grandparents, would today be the day that you begin to dig in and pray for your children and your grandchildren? Would today be the day that you seek To live Christ before them. That you stop enabling their sin and and you would begin to encourage them toward Christ. Parents with children at home, would today be the day that you begin to thoughtfully engage with how it is that you parent your children? To actually ask questions about whether or not it's best for them to be involved in that or whether it's not best for them to be involved in the local church on a more consistent basis? Husbands and wives, would today be the day that you look at that person who's sitting beside you or maybe the person who's still at home and say, you know what, it's been hard for the last week or month or year. And I haven't felt it. I haven't felt married. I haven't felt in love. But today's the day when I'm going to choose to be faithful no matter what. I'm going to be committed because I believe that God's way is right. Would today be the day that you trust in the blessing of God and fall down in front of Him and say, Lord God, would you give us strength as a family to pursue you? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. This altar is open. Parents, would you pray for your children today? Maybe there's something I could pray for you about. Would you make a commitment today to do whatever it takes to live in God's blessing?
rather than living under the curse of sin. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, Craig, I can't live in the blessing because I don't know what that means. We're going to stand and sing. When we do, would you come this morning? I would love to introduce you to my Jesus. Can I tell you that he'll never be ashamed of you? He loves you right where you are. And he offers hope in the midst of your sin. Stand with me as we pray. Lord God, I pray that you would, Lord, turn the hearts of fathers in this place and mothers toward their children. Lord God, you would turn the hearts of children in this place toward their fathers. And Father, maybe even for those watching at home. That Father, today could be the day. As they ask for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Lead us as we sing. In Christ's name, amen. Sing with us this morning.